Good evening. I hope you'll excuse me if I appear a trifle excited, but I've just come into possession of a cure for insomnia. <laughs> listeners we're doing a different sort of show right now these are bonus episodes being dropped in, in our regular schedule welcome to good trash do cinema i'm not gonna call it that. <laughs> <laughs> this is anti-trash do you want does one of you nerds want to explain what that means to them arthur if you don't mind sir. Uh, it's, a, it's a riff off uh, the uh, french uh, cinematic journal uh, Cahiers du cinema uh, where <laughs> Truffaut and godard and all those guys. All uh, those names you've stars. heard, but you've never seen any of their movies. Exactly. They were kind uh, of responsible for what we're doing here today. Really birthed a lot of theories. Uh, probably the key theory is the auteur theory, where yeah. a bunch of French critics sat down and watched American cinema and were like, hey, there's something here that they're missing, and they were right. So, so what we're going to do... They invented the genre of film noir. We were doing it, but we had no name We for didn't it. realize we, did. we were doing it. And they said, hey, by the way, you're doing this thing. Hey, guys, this is cool. And it's the best thing you've ever done. And that's why an American film genre has a French name. Which makes you wondering. <clears throat> uh, so what we're going to do is watch the kind of movies those guys made. And the kinds of movies they watched. And art films, basically. Films that are too good for our regular show. Films that should be probably on a film studies syllabus. Probably. Most of them are, in fact, on film studies. I would imagine. Syllabi. And so that's the sort of stuff. This is... But we want it easy and smooth. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna take it a little easy, but this, this film certainly belongs there. But before we do that, you might not know who we are. You might be tuning in for the very, very first time because you Weird wanted to pick. see... Why do you listen to art film? That's like watching Frasier without watching Cheers. That's like watching Angel without watching Buffy. It happens. I watched Frasier without watching I Cheers. I watched Frasier without seeing much of Cheers. Okay. I, I knew did. it was a spinoff. I did too, but that's because I'm not near the grave. Mm, I was around then, but it was in a bar. I, I recently watched I it didn't care. All right, well, let's get going. Who are you? Who are you to my left? I am Dalton Stewart. Uh, let's, you know, let's do the full formal introduction, uh, I guess. Uh, <clears throat> By all means. In case this is the first one you're checking out. My name is Dalton Stewart. I have a bachelor's degree in sociology. Uh, I guess a bachelor of arts uh, majoring in sociology from the University of Central Oklahoma. And uh, when I'm not talking about movies, I'm a social worker. Excellent. To my right, sir, if you'd introduce yourself. I am Arthur Gordon, and I am about two and a half weeks away from holding a uh, master's degree in English uh, literature, 20th and 21st studies, film studies, criticism, yada, yada, yada. I don't even know what the title is. <laughs> film studies. That's D- what it Dustin, feels like at the end. Yeah. <laughs> what, D- Dustin, what's the title of that degree you guys got? <laughs> it's the 20th and 21st century studies program with a film emphasis. There we go. Right. That. Cool. I am also in the process of, of, of receiving that particular degree. I'll be graduating in May once I complete my thesis, and I will be a stuttering, blubbering idiot at the end of that point. I also Thanks. have a master's degree in theology <laughs> and culture from Fuller Theological Seminary, and uh, that's uh, sort of my background and how I found myself. Theology and culture. That's fancy. What I do. It's two things. What are you going to do? Nice college boy, huh? They want to get mixed up in the family business? Huh? Now you want to gun down a police captain? Why, because he slapped you in the face a little bit? Huh? What do you think, this is the army where you shoot them a mile away? You got to get up close like this, and bing you blow their brains all over your nice cyber league suit. Come in. You're taking us very personal. We're going to talk about a movie that many of you have seen. We are going to be spoilerific. This is not a review show. If you watch our, or rather listen to our actual, you know, mainstream uh... Yes, our, our, our regularly scheduled programming. The you're good aw- trash genre cast. You're aware that we don't do reviews. We do analysis. Big difference. And we're going to think. We're going to break it open. And if you listen to film podcasts, you've probably seen this movie. Probably. Maybe, yeah. maybe like so. It's a movie called Pulp Fiction. John Travolta, Samuel L. Jackson, Bruce Willis, others. It's amazing. It's going to be lots of fun. We're going to begin with a quick synopsis, just in case you don't know. And then we are going to get in and talk about why this is too good for us. In a, so we begin with that, the voice of the cinema. This is a regular installment on our regular show. Mr. Actually, Arthur Gordon. Actually, I'm going to move away from the voice of the cinema for this one. Oh, oh you are. Sweet baby Jesus. So, <laughs> you guys are It's not going to be so brief. You guys are loving this too much. You just got to turn in to the good trash if you want to hear the voice of the cinema. I, I wanted to get because the, the plot here gets a little tricky if you're not paying attention. It's yeah. tricky. But uh, so Marcellus Wallace 
is a local kingpin in L.A. and is married to Mia, played by Uma Thurman. Mm-hmm. Marcellus gets ripped off by a couple of people, the first being some low-life hoods who steal his briefcase. Uh, the other is Butch, played by Bruce Willis. Butch is a boxer who double-crosses Marcellus after being paid to take a dive in an upcoming fight. Marcellus then brings in Vincent, played by Don Travolta, and Jules, played by Sam Jackson, to get his briefcase back. After doing so, Jules rethinks his life and decides to get out of the contract business. Vincent is then hired to go after Butch. While on the run, Butch literally runs into Marcellus, and the two wind up in an odd predicament. Along the way, Mia ODs on heroin, Harvey Keitel shows up, Tim Roth and his lady friend try to rob a diner, and Vincent gets shot up after dropping a deuce. That is Pulp Fiction. <laughs> that is a linear plot description of Pulp Fiction. <laughs> that is fantastic. Now, now do it again, and do what I thought you were going to do, which is read it in a French accent. Marcellus Wallis is a local kingpin in LA. I just married to me a play by my son. It's so bad, I love it. Taste of fresh oranges. City America, I'm gonna smoke the cigarette. I'm blow it into baby's face. It's like the only ethnicity you're still allowed to make fun of. Nobody likes France. People make fun of France all the time. You know, I love France. We have lots of listeners there. Do, do we? we do? I check. I check out the international listeners. I apologize, Seriously? France. Yeah, we have listeners in France. What's up, <laughs> Mamma Mia? I'm so, apologizing <laughs> now for the bad French. <laughs> it's, a, it's a film podcast, of course we do. <laughs> if it was a food podcast, we'd have Italian listeners. Arthur would have to apologize now. <laughs> so we are going to now talk about this. But before we do that, before we do our analysis, we're going to do a section of the show that I think may be regularly occurring. This is our first time out, so we'll just see what kind of plan it loses. But this is the section we like to call "So You Think You're Better Than Me." And we're going to talk about why this movie's too good for us, and why it's it, it what, really is. What elevates this from being a movie to a film? I guess. Yeah. Right? Well, what, yeah why this is art? In why my, cinema? Cin- yeah, which is just British for movie, but in American it means fancy. Yeah. And so, why is this cinema? Why is this high art? Why is this not just good trash? And I'm going to begin with Dalton. Dalton's going to talk a little bit about genre and what that does with all this. Yeah, I think that's what I'm most qualified to talk about here. Uh, <laughs> Uh, there's an interesting thing with Pulp Fiction, I think, I think going on uh, in many ways. And I think, first and foremost, it, it serves as the catalyst for a lot of us, uh, uh, particularly in this country, I can't speak to other film goers, but particular, particularly for American film buffs, uh, it serves as the catalyst for a lot of us of, oh shit, I didn't know movies could be like this. Right. Uh, e- even for me, you know, I didn't see this movie until probably 10 years after its initial release, uh, and it blew my socks off. Uh, 14, 15 years old, the first time I saw Pulp Fiction. I, I To me, uh, along with uh, a film that I, I talk about so much, I'm not allowed to talk about it on our actual podcast, uh, Fight Club, these are two films that really just kind of blew the doors off cinema for me. And I was like, oh, okay, I didn't know movies could be like this. Uh, and I think that's something really important with Pulp Fiction, is that it's a mainstreaming of art, of real art. Mm-hmm. Not, not the mainstreaming of art as in, you know, popular music or popular, you know, not uh, mainstreaming of art as in uh, One Direction or Transformers, mainstreaming of art as in, uh, you know, Mozart right. being played for the masses. This is an important thing that happens is, is high art is being made not only available to the general public in the form of a wide theatrical release, but also digestible to the general public by being funny, by being witty, by being violent, by being hyperkinetic, by being very watchable and very entertaining. Uh, and I think that's an important thing with Pulp Fiction. That's why it serves as the primer for our, a lot of our film education and our, a, lot of enjo- a lot of our enjoyment of uh, artier cinema it, is it is so fun. And that's really, you can use that to describe all of Quentin Tarantino's filmography uh, from Reservoir Dogs all the way up to Django Unchained is they're all fun. They're all very, very fun. And they all, with the exception maybe one or two, fit very firmly in the category of art, I think. And I think that's what's important here. Also, I think the other thing we have going on is the elevation, elevation of genre films. And that's something you see a lot of... Because this is just a gangster movie. This is just a gangster movie, but it's not. It's a gangster movie that's really playing with a lot more. Mm-hmm. It's playing with some very unconventional ways of telling a story, that's playing with some very uh, artily influenced ways of telling a story that uh, Dustin Arthur will talk about that in a little bit. But it's also something we talk about on... The good trash genre cast a lot. People ask us, why aren't you doing Memento, for example, is one I've heard a lot of. Uh, right. And that's because, yeah, it's just a detective movie, but it's also a, a real trip. Mm-hmm. It's a film that's, you know, in reverse chronological order. And I think that is something you have going on a little bit here with Pulp Fiction. That was just the first example that came to mind, and maybe not the best example. But that's why we wouldn't do 
uh, Pulp Fiction on our normal show is while it's technically a genre movie, while it is just a movie about gangsters ripping guys off, shooting each other, uh, having amusing conversations about coffee and foot rubs mm-hmm. and burgers and pot, what it really is is an art film that just happens to have gangsters in it. That's right. And that's an important distinction. And, and I think that's really what makes good uh, Pulp Fiction too good for the good trash genre cast. It makes it anti-trash. I'm not going to say that stupid thing. <laughs> good not... trash to cinema. <laughs> Blow it out of your ass. <laughs> that's what makes it too good for good trash, though. That's what makes it good art. Is this one, to me, to my mind, introducing art to the mainstream, to the masses, and taking what the masses like and elevating it to be art. Excellent, excellent. Arthur, can you tell us a little bit more about why this movie's too yeah, good for us? we're going to talk about how this is an art film as opposed to what we would traditionally look at. Um, what we're seeing here is we're getting a lot of breaks. Uh, typical Hollywood films and most uh, film in general follows what we call a classical uh, classical Hollywood-style narrative in which uh, everything's pretty well... Uh, there's a... Narrative is the focal point. Narrative, narrative, narrative. That is the driving home point. Uh, and there's nothing done to confuse that. There's nothing done to draw away from that. Um, but Pulp Fiction does just that. It, it plays with the narrative in many ways and completely breaks a lot of those classical uh, uh, motifs that we would normally be comfortable with. And uh, this really just kind of that's what shakes us up about this movie. Um, for example, uh, the big thing here is uh, the chronological order is broken. Mm-hmm. The synopsis that I gave earlier uh, about the film is not how the film is put together. Uh, we start At in all. the middle. I think it would be a lot less interesting if it was. Yeah. Uh, we start in the middle. We go to the beginning. We jump to the end. We go through the center of the film. It's it's a very unique. And if you're not paying attention, you're going to get really confused really fast. The first time I was introduced to this film, I was flipping through the channels. Uh, that oh was my. on. Came on in the uh, the adrenaline to the heart scene. Oh, I didn't man. know what was happening. Then what, it cuts next to... Uh, Christopher Walken walking in and <laughs> telling about how he brought this uh, watch back to the great great grandson of uh, Mr. Coolidge. Wear watch. But uh, five years. <laughs> I had this. I, I had it's it okay. for a second. I lost you, it. If you want to hear more bad imitations, just check out our other show on the Good Trash. Uh, I, I do it a lot. But uh, so that's the first big major thing happening here is a break in narrative. Uh, the second thing we're seeing is uh, a bit of. Uh, self-reflexivity, a little bit of meta uh, meta film here. Uh, there's one point where Mia and John Travolta are in the car and he says something. She tells him, don't be a... And then she draws square. a square and the square appears uh, in a non-diegetic spot. I mean, we see the square, but obviously they're not seeing the square. She's not yeah. drawing dotted yeah. lines, right. And so it's breaking that. And then also there's a line later on where... I, I can't remember exactly, but it's... He calls somebody a character... And then we're all just characters or something like that. Something mm-hmm. kind of reflecting on the... Just because uh, you are a character doesn't mean you have characters. Yeah, yeah, that's what it is. And so I think that's kind of a reflexive point about the, the people in this movie. Yeah. Um, another thing here, we see disposable characters. Uh, we were kind of built up that Vincent Vega is one of our main characters of the film. And at one point, he's just disposed of all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. That man needs to stay off the toilet. That's all and, I uh, It's a dangerous, dangerous place. Ask Danny Glover. Heroin will back you up like that. <laughs> <laughs> and so those are some of the other things that are happening here that are... It's really toying with and playing with that that idea of just a classic narrative, and so it's it's something that you would see a lot of in maybe a new wave film or in other uh, more experimental type films where you'd see something that's breaking away and making the viewer uncomfortable because it's not keeping it's not drawing them into the narrative. It's keeping it on their toes and keeping you guessing. So, more reason why this movie won't go with you to the prom is because <laughs> and it's far like too good for us is that it is so self-reflexive and quoting about cinema in general. Part of what is very, very brilliant uh, about this movie is, is that it manages to quote so many other movies. Now, it does some very popular mainstream-type quoting. We have John Travolta doing a dance scene with Uma Thurman. It's Saturday Night Fever. I mean, that is exactly what's going on. Yeah. This rejuvenates John Travolta's career. But also, the movie repeatedly gives nods to many French New Wave films, which are definitely outside the good trash 
uh, catalog and canon. They are they're they're too good for us. And so we're introduced from behind to several characters, and this is kind of a Tarantino trope. But we first meet Ving Rhames as Marcellus Wallace character from behind with the strange band-aid upon his neck. Uh, and it is done in such a way that it recalls the introduction of Anna Karina in Viva Savi. And also we have this crazy scene in a movie by Godard called Breathless, in which we see two characters walk around in a hotel room and they just talk. And it's all kind of oriented around uh, a sex scene that sort of happens but doesn't really happen. And in the same way, we have Bruce Willis and a French girlfriend, I kid you not, walking around this hotel room, having these conversations, talking about pot bellies and blueberry pancakes and uh, doing uh, mongoloid impersonations and all of this other strange stuff that has very little to do with the movie, where the movie just kind of breaks down and stops and rests. For just a moment. And it does that quoting this amazing scene in Breathless, which is one of those movies, again, that broke open a genre film. It's sort of a film war. It's a girl plus a gun, and let's just see what we can do with it. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly the same sort of thing that Tarantino is doing here. He is, this is a cinephile, cinephile movie in which it is making quotations on top of quotations on top of quotations. And it's not just the great American movies that we know, like Saturday Night Fever. It is into the back catalog of the French New Wave and into some very, very obscure stuff. And that's what makes this movie a, a lot bigger than just a mere gangster movie. It's a movie about all the movies. And I think it's just a little wonderful for that reason. And that's why she's too good for us. Okay, if Pulp Fiction's The Girls, that's too good to go, is too good to go to the prom with us. Who's the movie that's good enough to go to the prom with us? Troll 2. Oh, shit. <laughs> I was... <laughs> I was hoping for, like, the faculty or the fifth element at least. Losers always whine about their best. Winners go home and fuck the prom queen. All right, guys. Well, now we know why she's too good for us. Let's go ahead and do some analysis, though. Why she's too good for the good trash. Why she is good art. Why this is worthy of good trash to cinema. Although or... we do do this. Do do. Hmm. Uh... When we do the good trash genre cast. We're going to now do analysis, but we are doing analysis on a much more rarefied level than uh, what we may have done before. I, I turn over to my co-host, Mr. Dalton Stewart, who has brought some analysis today. What do you say? Well, a little bit. Uh, again, we mentioned top of the show, my area of study was sociology. I talk a lot about that on the good trash genre cast. Here, I, I want to talk about something that actually came up. Uh, on the Good Trash Genre cast during our horror marathon that we did for October and talking about a film called Pontypool. Uh, and that is the concept of symbolic interactionism, which is a, a, a paradigm of thinking in sociology, uh, kind of a micro look at society uh, and the limits of, of human interaction and, and the way we use symbols to interact with, each, quite simply, symbolic mm -hmm. interactionism, the use of symbols to interact with one another. Uh, and I'm going to really quick paraphrase from Wikipedia... So you cannot accuse me of plagiarism. Uh, I am going to really quickly uh, Thank read... Thank you, Rand Paul. Yep. I want to quickly read slash paraphrase from Wikipedia just so you have a really good understanding of what I'm talking about here. Symbolic interactionism is a sociological perspective that is influential in many areas of the discipline and is particularly important in micro-sociology, which I just said without reading this. Aren't I smart? And social <laughs> psychology. Symbolic interactionism is derived from American pragmatism and particularly from the work of George Herbert Mead, who I actually think I've talked about on the show before on the Good Drive Genre cast, who argued that people's selves are social products and that these selves are also purpose, purposive and creative. Herbert Bloomer, a student and interpreter of Mead, is the one that actually coined the term symbolic interactionism, and he put forth... Uh, this summary uh, on the idea. People act toward things based on the meaning those things have for them. And these meanings are derived from social interaction and modified through interpretation. So again, what it all boils down to is what we say to each other, how we say it, and what we're talking about. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. A middle finger in Nigeria means nothing. A middle finger in America is a big deal. An inverted peace sign in America, not a big deal. In the UK, it's the equivalent of flipping by the bird. Right. You get stuffed. These, this is the importance of symbols. A stop sign, etc., etc. And I think, to me, that that's really what's at play in Pulp Fiction, is this idea of communication. And not only the limits of communication, but also an inability to communicate. 
So with the limits of communication, you, you can look at uh, scenes like uh, Jules uh, in the opening scene, the what scene. The mm-hmm. limits of communication. Describe what Marcellus Wallace looks like. What? Say what again? Say what again? I dare you. I double dare you. My point is, uh, in this scene, we, we, we see Jules trying to communicate with this kid, and his fear completely cripple him and take away his ability to communicate. And this kind of, again, ties into both the, uh, the ability to communicate and the limits of communication. Jules wants something from this guy, but he is so into his gangster persona that he is, he, he's not really able to play on this guy's playing field and totally scares the crap out of this little white boy. <laughs> so he just about poos his pants and ends up getting shot because he doesn't understand what's happening. It's the limits of communication. Right. The, the human language. Say, what ain't no country I ever heard of? They speak mm-hmm. English and what? <laughs> right. Limits of communication. The, how easy it is to misunderstand what someone's saying or intentionally, uh, I, I should say rather, misunderstand what someone's saying, or, more interestingly, purposely misinterpret what they're saying and throw it back at them. I think that's very interesting. Also, we have the failure to communicate. Mia uh, snorting a whole bunch of high-quality heroin thinking it's cheap blow and having a massive drug overdose. In the most uncomfortable-looking, nose-blowing scene Mm -hmm. of all time. Yeah. And why does this happen? Vince fails to communicate to Mia. One, I'm a junkie. Two... I'm holding three. Please don't snort my stuff. Right. Well, you know, heroin is supposed to be carried in balloons, not in not baggies. baggies. And typically brown, not white. Can you blame a sister? And that's what happens when you fail to communicate something to people. Um, whose chopper is this? It's not a chopper. Whose motorcycle is this? It's not a motorcycle. It's a chopper. Whose chopper is this? Zen. Expecting people to be Zen. able to communicate with you without knowing what dialogue they're supposed to be having with you. Without assuming people uh, have the same lexicon and the same frame of reference as you do. The limits of communication. They are, the reliance of cultural idioms, for example, that don't translate into other languages. Um, you also have, I think, one of my, my favorites in terms of an, the inability to communicate, but also the failure to communicate, is Marcellus Wallace and Butch, which is really makes up the bulk of the film. You forget how much of the film is dedicated to Butch's story. Mm-hmm. It's really probably the single longest um, sequence in the film, uh, going from the Golden Watch to the end of his story. It's really long. It's about an hour. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, the Jules and Vince stuff is also quite long, but it bookends the film in smaller sections. Correct. This, though, the entire hinging, the, like the inciting incident of this, is Butch's failure to communicate himself to, to uh, Marcellus Wallace Marcellus Wallace's inability to understand Butch. Butch cannot throw this fight. It means too much to him. His pride will not let him. And he tries to uh, say, he tries to explain to Butch that he's going to feel the sting of pride. But Marcellus Wallace is a gangster. And being a gangster, sometimes you have to break the rules. Sometimes you have to uh, lie to yourself. Sometimes you have to compromise your values to be a gangster. Because that's the way that world works. But Butch refuses to do that. To Butch, being a boxer is all he has. And it's important to his pride to fight. And Wallace can't understand this. Meanwhile, Butch isn't a businessman. And he can't understand Wallace's insistence that money is more important than pride. Mm. And I think, again, these are some of these key examples in this film where you see people's inability to communicate with one another or their failure to communicate with one another. And I think that's something that's really interesting in this film. And that's kind of, this is what I go to when people say Tarantino's all style, no substance, which that argument's been made, and those people are, are not very smart. Or, <laughs> or incorrect. Or, yeah, they just don't like violence and it turns them off, which I think is fair. They don't, they don't like, they, they don't like their art films to have so many F words and so much violence, which is fair. I, yeah. I get that. I, I get that. But they try to write him off as a filmmaker. That's like saying hip hop's not art because it samples from pre existing music. Right. Which is what Tarantino does. Uh, to be perfectly honest, which explains his uh, love for hip hop mm-hmm. and black culture. You could do an entire paper on uh, Tarantino's love of black culture and how his, he makes the uh, the hip hop equivalent of movies. I'm just saying, there's some that that's that's free. This is a free podcast. Yes. I just threw that nugget out there for you to have. That wasn't even part of my analysis. Enjoy, what you wanted. <laughs> you good? Okay, moving on. Wrapping up. And that this to me, the communication, the idea of of how we talk to each other. 
And that's what most Tarantino films are about when you boil it down to its essentials. It's talking. Right. The dialogue. They're very talking. Movies. And that is what I, I kind of point to to people. Go, well, look at this film. Look at this aspect of communication that this explores. Look at this aspect of communication that this explores. And for Pulp Fiction, it's about miscommunication. Excellent, excellent. Uh, the bit of analysis I would bring, I, I actually, for the first time, I think, ever in uh, good trash history of genre cast or do cinema Ugh. history... Is I want to I want to draw from my theological background. I don't think you've ever done it before. And, and people have asked, have they? Yeah, we have uh, some listeners I know personally. Like, Isn't Dustin a, a, a pastor? Yeah, I mean that's his day job. Uh, <laughs> people go, why doesn't he ever talk about like the Bible and stuff in movies? Because he doesn't find it that interesting sometimes. Yeah, it doesn't apply necessarily. And a lot of times it doesn't apply, and if you want it to apply, you're going to have to really stretch it. Right. And it, just, it depends on what brings out part of meaning yeah. in the film best. Well, it depends on what mood you're into. Absolutely. And really, the thing that I see so much of when I watch Pulp Fiction is the tension between the ideas of law and of grace. Law being people get what they deserve, a universe built on karma, where you reap what you sow, and a universe based on favors, grace, unmerited, uh, you know, if you want to use a, a theological term, blessing given to a person, whether they deserve it or not. And this tension is always at work in Pulp Fiction. Uh, the best symbolization of that is in Jules and Vincent. Mm -hmm. Vincent is all law, mm -hmm. and Jules is learning a way of grace. And that is kind of what's happening uh, throughout the, 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 I'm trying, Ringo. Uh, I'm trying. He's trying. Yeah, he's trying. He's not quite there. Yeah. Jules, on the other hand, says, or not Jules, rather, Vincent says things like, you give that guy that $1,500, I'm going to shoot him on general principle. He didn't earn that. He doesn't deserve that. That gift is not allowed. This is the way things are. This is the way things are supposed to go. You do what you're supposed to do. You get what you deserve. There's a cut-out scene in which we find out that Butch has probably keyed Vincent's car. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's set talks about what those people deserve. Rather, Eric Stoltz's character talks about what those people deserve. And again, this idea of this wait, is Wait, 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 wait. Run that by me again? Eric Stoltz's character in the cut scene. Gotcha. Okay. That's not in the actual gotcha. film. Okay, says to Vincent, this Vincent's is what people your car, probably Butch. But, probably Butch. Gotcha. They deserve to be killed. In, gotcha. it's, 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 again, it's just justice. By the way, I want to take a moment to uh, point out the how much it amuses me that Vincent kills and steals a lot. That's his job. But he takes offense to a petty thief being given $1,500 and having to fight for it. I love it. Yeah, it, it, it's strange. Again, this legal sort of earning, this legalism that is the, the, the strictness from. of codes in a criminal lifestyle. And of course, Marcellus is another character that learns this. There is a strict consequence. You have lied and failed to keep your end of the deal, Butch. You must die. And then this thing happens where Butch has mercy on Marcellus that Marcellus does not deserve. And Marcellus in view of grace, can do nothing but extend grace further. So what about Except you and me? Said. There is no more, you and me. But yeah, he will get medieval. Oh, well, I'm going to have uh, <laughs> a pair of pliers and a blowtorch. A hard hand fools go medieval on you. <laughs> it's it, it's not quite so pretty there. But again, it, it's, it's this working this way towards grace, towards an extension of mercy where people don't get what they deserve, where you, there's not always this vengeance and justice, where there's maybe some other possibility in this world that might work as a little bit better. And then, of course, finally, as the film concludes, Bruce Willis's Butch character rides off on a motorcycle named Grace. I mean, you couldn't telegraph it anymore. Zed's motorcycle's got Grace written on the side of it, for crying out loud. That's what this is about, and kind of what we're we're struggling with here is this idea of this is the way it ought to be, this is the way it ought to, you ought to deserve this, you earned this respect because of who you are. That's why Vincent's so fired up about the wolf and how Harvey Keitel is so curt with him again because it's not extending the proper protocols of rules, even though it's a grace that the wolf is there in the first place. But Vincent cannot operate on that level. That's why Vincent has to die, and Jules is able to live and live like Kang and Kung Fu and walk the earth. That's, I think, part of the beauty of this movie. Now, where does, uh, where does Tarantino's character Jimmy play into this? Jimmy. I think there's something interesting here with his allowing them to use his home. 
Well, there is, but it, it's it, 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 it's it's a moment of grace, but it's kind of this conditional grace. Mm-hmm. It, it is it's a strange place. Like, okay, this is fine, but you need to hurry up because Bonnie's coming home. Because I will give you grace, but I'm really worried about the name of the Father being uttered, and that's when Bonnie shows up and brings down the law. Because she will have no grace. He will get divorced. Divorced. She will divorce. There will be no grace in that situation. He wants to extend it, but he's extending it under a system of law, and that's kind of how grace doesn't work. That's where you short circuit grace is that grace and law are antithetical to one another and the synthesis is is where you move past it where you recognize that there is actual consequence there is deserved vengeance and we're just going to let it slide anyway Mm -hmm. and Ringo I'm going to help you out now I'm going to let you buy back your life with my money Mm -hmm. that's grace where, yeah, actually what I could do is just go ahead and kill you. Because any other day you ass would be dead as fried chicken. Th- that's right. He could kill her and kill him, and they would make it. They are they are some effective mobsters. Mm-hmm. They have that situation in hand. Instead, he gives him money to show some sort of grace, but it's, it's moving and short-circuiting that cycle of vindictiveness, of trying to balance the equation mm-hmm. and just saying, grace to you. Get on out of here. you got to go. And it's a different sort of story that way. I like that. I just thought of something be- talking about Jimmy, and because I talk about symbolic interactionism and the importance of words. Yes. Jimmy insists on using a racial epithet to his friend Jules mm. in describing his concerns about his black wife getting home from work early. This is an important thing here. Am I qualified to speak on this? I don't think so, but I think it's important to point out. Mm-hmm. I think it's important to think about the importance of language and how language operates in our society. And the flexibility of words, and why in certain situations words are completely off the table. In other situations, there's more flexibility. Jules allows this to happen. Why? Because Jimmy is his friend. He knows Jimmy. Jimmy says this because he's furious. Should he use that word? Probably not. Has Tarantino got a lot of flack for his scenes in which he uses that word? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. He pays for it a lot. Hello, Spike Lee. Yeah, Spike Lee don't like it. But Tarantino does so anyway, and I think it's important. I don't think he throws that word around mm-hmm. willy-nilly. I think in Django and Chain, it's much more easy to justify. Here, I think it, it's, it's harder to explain. And, and, and if I were to try to explain it, I would fail to do so. So I'm not. What I will say is I think there's something important. Absolutely. I think it's important to look at that he chooses that word. That Jules allows him to choose that word. And that Jimmy, um, you know, not to, to use the, I'm not racist, I have a black friend argument. But he has a black friend and a black wife. Mm-hmm. So clearly Jimmy's probably not a racist for you know all intents and purposes from what we see in this film. But why does he choose to use that word? I think it's important to look at, especially, especially in terms of you know, symbolic interactionism and, and the way language operates and the way symbols operate. Excellent, excellent. A little addendum I thought of because I actually hadn't thought of Jimmy earlier. Well, guys, we just went on a date with the prom queen. We went to Pulp Fiction and talked Arthur about... Arthur stayed home, though. <laughs> Arthur stayed home. But I do want to ask the question, is this really high art? Does this deserve to be on the syllabus? Is it up to the hype? Or is this really just good trash? I ask you first, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Oh, this is this is art. Yeah, definitely. What else or instead would you... you no, no, like, yeah, hold on, no, stop. This is definitely art. If you're teaching a class about movies and you don't at least reference this film, you're doing it wrong. For shame. Get your shit together. Uh, Elser instead, uh, you know, I, well, else, obviously, what else should you watch? What should you pair with this cheese? Um, you know, really anything from Quentin Tarantino's filmography, I, I think, is a good place to start. I think he's, he's a, a, a director where the auteur, the idea of auteurism, uh, definitely is valid, mm-hmm. and I think you should probably watch at least one of I think you should watch either Reservoir Dogs, which pairs very nicely with this film. They are kind of companion pieces of a sort. Or watch follow-up to this, Jackie Brown. Either watch what came before or what came after and see the conversation those films are having together. Uh, in terms of things not by Tarantino you should watch, watch any gangster movie, really, I guess. But I'm going to say Goodfellas, because I really like yeah. that one. And it's from about the same time period, which is kind of what makes it stick out in my mind. So, uh, also, they... Both are famous for their copious use of the effort. Yes. Good pick, good pick. Uh, Mr. Arthur Gordon, does this one belong to be prom queen? Does it deserve to be on the syllabus? Yeah. <laughs> I think this one's probably the more arty, if we were to say art house or art art cinema. I think this, of, of Tarantino's work, is probably at the top of that list. Mm-hmm. Um, all of his films, I think, are, are highbrow, though, uh, to an extent, in, in comparison to what we normally do anyway. Um, but... As far as what else you should watch, I think you should watch Made in USA by Jean-Luc Godard. 
um, which is going to feature a lot of the same kind of intertextuality and uh, the references to other other things as cinema and literature uh, kind of pairs uh, well with this one, I think. Excellent, excellent. I, I also think this belongs in the syllabus. It absolutely does. Um, it's probably not quite highbrow, I'm going to say, something I say a lot of times. It's highest middlebrow. Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as that goes, and it really is this kind of mainstreaming of an art movie. It's an art movie inside a gangster movie. It's a gangster movie that somehow got up into a French film. It, it, yeah. it, it's just, you know, again, that strange mixture that uh, Dalton was talking about a little while earlier. So it is totally that. I'm going to say a different Godard film. You should watch Breathless uh, for some of the same reasons that Arthur is talking about as well. And I would also include uh, the, the obvious to me... Um, Example that we should continue just to watch as many movies as possible because yeah. that's really this movie is about all the movies. Yeah. Well, most Tarantino movies are movies about movies, and if you don't watch one and immediately want to watch another movie, you're not doing it right. Yeah, and so I, I think there's absolutely that. So let's just talk a little bit about the movie a little bit more broadly. There is a theory. There is, and the theory is that Tarantino's movies are in a universe. That there are actually two universes. There is the universe that takes place, which includes movies like Pulp Fiction, Reservoir Dogs, and Glorious Bastards, and Jackie Brown. And then there is this other universe, which includes movies that people from that universe watch, which include the Kill Bill movies, uh, Death Proof, uh, also the Robert Rodriguez uh, Planet Zombie, whatever that is. Planet Terror. Planet Terror. Yeah. Uh, it's got zombies, right? Yeah. So, we just want to... You guys buy that? What do you guys think? What do you think, Arthur? Um... I don't know so much about the movies that they watch in the universe. I don't know where that one... Where does that come in? The, that well, just, okay, that... the idea is that the the jumping off point from our world and Tarantino's world is in Glorious Bastards. Yeah, yeah. And that is how World War II ends. And that has this impact on popular culture okay. and, and life. And people in that world are not only more pop culture savvy because pop culture ends World War II. But they're also because the more... cinema stops fascism and yeah. kills Hitler. But we're also more violent. Because World War II ends in a blaze of glory, a literal blaze of glory. Uh, the idea, and then the one you mentioned, forgot to mention, Dustin, that is key to people's theory for this is true romance. Yes. Which features a character that is supposed to be like the great nephew of uh, the bear Jew in Glorious Bastards. He's a movie producer. The idea is that there is a certain visualness, a, a certain extra bombacity. Tarantino's movies uh, that uh, that 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 court the Kill Bill films, uh, Death Proof and Django Unchained that they're a little bit more out there than his core films, mm-hmm. and that they would be films that they would watch in that universe. I forget okay. where there's I think uh, there's uh, some cracked articles about this. There's a lot of articles on the internet about this that uh, justify this further. But but the, the idea is yeah, after Inglorious Bastards happened, it completely changes the way uh, culture is consumed. In, in, in his universe. Yeah. I think it's interesting. Do you buy it? I don't know. So, I mean, I, I think I'd, I would have to do more on that part of it. Mm-hmm. Just, it seems a little... Because there are references to family members and the same products yeah. and stuff. Like Vic Vega in Reservoir Dogs. I, 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 I buy into that part of it. Yeah. That yeah. there is this universe within these films. Mm-hmm. Exists, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction mm-hmm. and Jackie Brown and all that. They coexist. It's the second part of that. The, the only piece of evidence for me that I, I find legit for the for the Kill Bill, especially uh, being a film of the universe, in that it's a film people watch in the Pulp Fiction universe, is that the uh, Fox Force Five synopsis That's right. um, that Uma Thurman gives sounds is, a lot like sounds Kill a Bill. lot like Kill Bill. Okay. And so it seems like maybe that's the kind of movie that they would watch. Okay. I think there might be some other... Here, here's my thing with this. Does it check out? Yeah. Do I think he meant to do it? No. Does yeah. it matter? Probably not. Is it fun to speculate? Happy accident. Happy accident. I honestly do. Is it fun to speculate? Yeah. No. Did um, John Hughes mean for you to be able to interpret Ferris Bueller's Day Off uh, as a Fight Clubian type thing where Ferris Bueller is just a figment of Cameron's imagination? And he is what Cameron wishes he could be, and he he needs this to liberate him. No, John Hughes didn't mean to do that at all. That's stupid. Is it fun to think about, though? Hell yeah. Yeah. Because I love Ferris Bueller's Day Off, and I love Fight Club. Well, the million-dollar question, though, it, with regards to this theory, if we were to accept it, which universe is Django Unchained a part of? Is this uh, okay. how slavery was ended, or is this simply the sort of westerns they watch in the Pulp Fiction universe? I, th- I think it's probably the sort of westerns they watch in the Pulp, in the, uh, Pulp Fiction universe, but it's also the sort of serious subject movies they watch in the Pulp 
<laughs> right? Because when World War II, one of the most serious things that happened to the world ever ends like that, you want everything to end like that. Sure enough. So I think I think that the argument would be made that that's that's what Oscar movies, quote unquote, look like in the Pulp Fiction universe. Mm. Is uh, you know uh, people get their just desserts and uh, the ills of society are righted with brutal vengeance. Nice. Yeah. All right. Last question. This is this is a this is a simple question right now. Mm-hmm. What's in the briefcase? Go, Dalton. Who gives a shit? Yeah. Is it there? It's McGuffin. It's McGuffin. Yeah. I think it's, it's Elvis's golden suit from True Romance. I think so. Yeah. That's exactly. If right. I have to, if I have to pick, I, I go with that. Yeah. I mean, it's clearly full of McGuffin. Yeah. <clears throat> Which is a Hitchcock term for the doesn't matter the thing that you're looking for because you need to be looking for a thing. So it's a key, it's a lock, it's a secret, it's the 39 steps, it's it's whatever's in the radioactive bottles of Notorious. Well, playing back to the the, theory, the world theory, universe theory, is it's the, the, the jewels from Reservoir Dogs, mm-hmm. is what's in the brief. Yeah. yeah. And so I think that... I've mean, heard that theory, too. Yeah. And, you know, Reservoir Dogs actually may take place on the same day as Pulp Fiction. Really? really? That I've That's never heard. That's where all the cops are not... That's why there's no cops in Pulp Fiction. I was just reading around today. Oh, wow. That's, that's, okay. That one's fun to think about. I've never heard that one. I like that. Especially when you think of them as companion pieces, that's... I like that. Because theory. there's also a reference to a Nurse Bonnie, which is Jimmy's wife is oh, Nurse Bonnie. Oh, man, that's right. Or something. Mm. So uh, it's, it's fun to play that kind of stuff. Interesting. Too bad they uh, weren't listening to K-Billy Super Sounds of the 70s Weekend <laughs> in Pulp Fiction. They should have been. They should have been. There is Also, by the way, the radio station is K-Billy. K-Billy. Kill Bill. Mm-hmm. Something going on there. All right, dear listener, thank you so much for listening. You know, we can keep this conversation going through some social media. Where's one of those places, Arthur? Uh, you can actually find us at facebook.com forward slash good trash genre cast. And there's another one. There is. I think you could just do it. <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to do it. Normally, and I do it the whole, whole, whole spiel, but uh, you caught me off guard. I wasn't ready for it. <laughs> I, and really, you know, I like to keep it show PG-13, and I can't do something Pulp Fiction related without swearing like a train. Ladies and gentlemen, you can find uh, the Good Trash Genre Cast on Twitter. Train? Like a train. I don't know. That's the first thing that came to mind. What, what else? Swearing like a longshoreman, I guess, would make more sense? Say, probably. Let's hey. put them in a stereotype. Yeah, we've already offended or, a lot of other people. Or, or like a Los Angeles fictitious gangster. <laughs> yeah, fictitious Los Angeles gangster. I like that. <laughs> Is that where they say place in Los Angeles? Did they ever say I that? believe so, yeah. yeah. They say, he says, uh, don't come back to L.A. He tells yeah, they're, they're in Compton, Englewood. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's right. Yep, Englewood. And the hills. Hollywood Drive and, and hills. stuff. They talk about the hills. That's right. Um, ladies and gentlemen, you can find the Good Trash Genre Cast on Twitter at good underscore trash. We're also available on Tumblr at goodtrashgenrecast.tumblr.com. We also have an email address, which is goodtrashgenrecast at gmail.com. You can also, of course, check out the uh, the site from which we host. That's goodtrashgenrecast.podbean.com. And that's where you'll find all of our episodes of this show and of our other, our main show, which is the Good Trash Genre Cast. Well, let's do the last thing. And we usually do this thing where we talk about what we're fired up in pop culture. We're going to talk about what we're fired up about, what we've seen recently that is in the high level. And so what, what's got you fired up in high culture, Mr. Arthur Gordon? Well, actually, I just rewatched uh, The Shining uh, for class. And so I think we're talking about those prom dates. Those prom queens, I think The Shining is probably up there. Absolutely. Uh, Mr. Kubrick, a little bit of a uh, arty director himself, and so... It is one of the most bejeweled of horror films, I think that's yeah. fair to say. And so I, I got to rewatch that and revisit that, and it was a lot of... It was, it was fun, it was interesting to see again. So. Excellent, I like that recommend. Mr. Dalton Stewart. Well, there's no telling when this is going to air, like right. at all. Uh, in case you're wondering, we were recording this on... <laughs> November the 26th, 2013, the same night we recorded our main uh, show, uh, our main series, Good Try Genre Cast episode of End of Watch. We want to have this in the can for you guys to digest later on. I tell you all of this to give you some frame of reference for what I'm about to say, and that's I recently saw the film 12 Years a Slave uh, mm-hmm. by Steve McKean, McQueen, which is a great companion piece to Django Unchained. Do I know which you should watch first and which you should watch second? Not at all. Because <laughs> that's all. really the kicker. That's a tough question. That's the kicker. Uh, 12 Years a Slave is really awesome. Uh, do I like it as much as I thought I would? No. Do I really like it? Yeah. Do I like it as much as Shame? No. Do I think it's really good? Yes. Do I think it's the definitive film about slavery? No, but I don't think any subject gets to have a definitive film. I like it a lot, though. I just witnessed an entire conversation you had with you. Well, I'm just addressing any concerns people might have. I like that. Yeah, you know. 
That was very well I'm, done, I'm, I'm thinking real fast right now. I'm over-caffeinated. I'm thinking about, uh, uh, you know, uh, sociopaths consider uh, how the outcome of something before they do it. I just do something and then consider the consequence that I actually <laughs> try to, to make up for it before the consequence bites me in the ass. Right. Uh, but I really did like it. Uh, I think some of the, uh, the A-list actor cameos are a little distracting. Uh, and there are quite a few of them. Uh, I think the acting, though, is stunning. I think the film looks great. I think the editing choices are great. I think I think everything about it's great. I think it's me and a friend of the show, Nick Sanford, who's a filmmaker. We're talking about this today. Uh, the plotting mm, doesn't really work in some aspects. It doesn't feel like Twelve Years mm. for a film that features so prominently in the title. How long it takes place over doesn't really feel like that long. I don't think you you get that sense of chronology. Um, so I have some issues with the film. Do I think it's fantastic? Yeah. Is you don't need me to tell you you should go see it. I go do that. It's good. You've probably seen it by now based on when this comes out. Mm-hmm. And it probably won a shitload big pile of awards. Congratulations to all involved. Absolutely. Dustin, <laughs> what do you got going on in the world of fancy watching? Fancy watching. I've been watching a little Russian cinema lately. Um, I saw Man with the Movie Camera, uh, which is uh, Ziga Vertov, and it's about an hour. It's about uh, a city waking up and things that happen in said city. And it is gorgeous and wonderful and beautiful. And there is a sequence where they talk about sports and athleticism that makes this use of slow motion and montage, which is a super fast cutting. And it is brilliant. I also saw a uh, Ukrainian set Russian film called Earth um, by uh, Dushdev. And it is, I know, right? And Sorry, I'm a child. <laughs> It is really, really good. It is a lot of fun, and uh, it's, it's it's very slow, though. It's a very different kind of movie from Man with the Movie Camera. It's not montage so much as it's all these close-ups, and it is semi-silent. And there is it, it's, it's very, very avant-garde, but not at all in the same ways as Man with the Movie Camera. And I'm just kind of watching a lot of old Soviet uh, films these days. Yes, sir. Uh I saw that you watched In the Heat of the Night recently. What, yeah. what was your take on that? Oh, I love it. Um, and racism sucks. Yeah. Was that your first time watching it? Or you seen it? No, I haven't seen it before. Oh. My official opinion. Well, that's your official opinion, is racism sucks. I'm, I am not in favor. Jeez, way to take an unpopular stance. I know. I'm, I'm, you know I'm, way to be a rabble rouser. I'm nothing if not brave. <laughs> <laughs> Dear listener, we have enjoyed this time together. Um, well, it's fun to do something so, different. Yeah, good trash, do cinema. Oh, God. <laughs> So, uh, for you and the Kaye du Cinema crowd, for you Truffaut Ugh. fans, for those of you who know what I'm talking about when it's I start talking to Lee, that's what this show's about. Um, next time... I don't like putting on airs, I'm sorry. We're not putting on airs. We're, well, I mean, that's where this belongs. It makes me feel icky. It belongs in the Kaye du Cinema review, right? Working class ugh, guilt is just, just <laughs> seeping out of me. So, what we're going to do next time, we're going to move back into the 70s. We're going to do a little black and white film. We are. In the time of Technicolor. So it's a choice being made here. A little Woody Allen, a film called Manhattan. It's going to be about a city. It's going to be about the photography. It's going to be about what it means to exist. And it might even be about Ingmar Bergman. I'm just saying. It's going to be good times, and we look forward to seeing you then. Uh, you can follow us all on Twitter in the meantime and keep the conversation going. Dalton, where are you at? Uh, I can be found on Twitter at Dal underscore Stew. That's spelled exactly how you think you'd spell a hearty... Uh, Soup type dish you'd make out of uh, toys. Arthur Gordon, are you, you on Twitter? Find me at round or the. You can find me at RND TBL review. That's in the round table review, correct? Are you correct. still writing there on your uh, blog? Uh, no. my ass. <laughs> <laughs> Time. That's what that sounded like. You said sometimes. That's what I heard. <laughs> <laughs> Dustin, where can people find you on the internet? I am at Dustin underscore cells. That's S E double L S. And where can they find you on Tumblr? Um, also at iprotein.tumblr.com. Because you know iProtein is good for you. And uh, glad to be helpful in that way. We'll keep the conversation going. Check out Manhattan, and we'll see you next time.
Yeah.